Hey, let's open our Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul's writing to the church that was established on the second missionary journey. Remember, they were only there for a very short period of time, and this church was formed, and Paul wanted to make sure that they would grow and be strong. But, but the fact of the matter is, is that, that God raised up this church. It was a miraculous thing. Paul and his A-team were working together to, to bring Jesus to these people there in this church, this city uh, in Greece, Thessalonica. But this church that was formed really says there in verse 1, the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. The church is not a building, but it's a people. It's really all about the people, people whose hearts are touched and moved and changed as we're going to see as we carry on in this, uh, this letter that Paul wrote. Paul sent them grace and peace, very important, very powerful. He sent grace and peace to them. And then it says that he thanked God for them and he prayed for them and he remembered them. And what he remembered was this, that their, their work there in, in verse uh, 3, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The faith and love and hope. Faith, love, and hope. Faith that, that worked. Love that prompted labor and hope that inspired endurance. This hope in Jesus. So we, moving on from there, we're going to pick it up in verse 4. Some interesting things we're going to talk about and we're going to see in these next verses about uh, what Paul wanted them to know about. In verse 4, he says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit. And with deep conviction, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would open our hearts, our minds, to hear what you would say by your spirit, Lord. It's your word, Lord. We pray that you would... Uh, work in us through your word and that our hearts would be receptive too, like the Thessalonians were in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says we know these things and he wanted them, and again he's talking to these people that, that it wasn't that long ago that he'd been there and established this church. He wanted them to know some very important things. And the first thing he says is that that they were brothers and sisters, they were family, they were loved by God. And that's a, the most important thing that you and I could ever know. Do you know that, that God really, really loves you? That God loves you and it's not all about how much you can love Him. It's all about really how much He loves you, how much He loves me. We have to start there. We've got to, we love Him only because He first loved us. We've got to know that He loves us and... and uh, I shared this a while back, but David Gusick was speaking at a conference in Boston, and he shared this. He was talking about John the Apostle, and, you know, John in his, in his gospel writes, you know, that he was, he was speaking about himself, kind of veiled, but speaking about himself, you know, that he was the apostle. He was the disciple that Jesus loved. 
And, you know, you can read that and say, well, he's kind of like boasting about himself. But no, I think for him, it was because he knew that he was loved by Jesus. And I think so often we don't, have, we don't really have the whole picture. We don't have the clue that Jesus really, really loves us. That's really what makes life worth living, that Jesus loves me, that God loves me. And that's the first thing he says we know. We know brothers loved by God. We know that, that he has chosen you, that he has chosen you. Now, this gets into a whole other area that I want to talk about a little bit today. And some of you have thought about this and you've read verses like this. And some of you have studied it in, in more depth, depending on where you've been. This, this idea of, of being chosen by God. Well, why did he choose you? And, and who did he choose? Did he choose everybody? Did he only choose some? We're, we're not going to have all the answers to all these questions, but I think it's something that we need to look at some of the verses and see what God says about it. The, the uh, formal term is uh, the term election. They use that, they take that from one of the Greek words, and they come up with this word election. And really, it's all about God's choosing. Really, there are two, two doctrines or two teachings that, that kind of you have to kind of hold intention, if you will. And you've got to hold them both at the same time. What happens when we get to one or the other and we, we focus on one or the other, we become, you know, uh, out of balance, so to speak. But we have one, we have God's election or God's sovereignty on one hand, but we also have on the other side man's responsibility. That man has to make a choice. And we have on this side that God makes a choice. Do we know how these always work, how these work together? I don't think in our finite human minds we can really understand that. But we need to know both that both are true. Both are true, though we can't always reconcile them in our own minds. Both are biblical. And again, you, you'll have one group saying, well, this is the, this is the truth they focus on and, 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 you know, to the exclusion of the other. And then you have this side over here, they, they focus on this, and it's all about what man can do and what man has to decide. But, but really, it's both working together. Both working together. So let's look at some verses about these. I think it's very important for us to think about this. Paul says it. He says, we know this, that God has chosen you. And he's going to give, as we've already read, some reasons that Paul knew that. But first turn to, to 2 Thessalonians, the next book ahead. I want, to, I want to look at this subject. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. He says here, but we ought always to thank God for you. Brothers loved by the Lord, he says it again, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. See, even in this verse here, we can see that there is this working together of God's choosing and man's believing, man's trusting, man's giving all his life and heart to Jesus Christ. They're both true. We, we can't neglect one truth over the other. God chose you to be saved. Paul says, we know that. We know that about you, that God chose you. How about uh, th uh, Ephesians chapter 4? Let's turn back a few books to Ephesians chapter 4. This is very interesting. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. I, I think I said that backwards. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. 
He says, for he chose us in him when? Before the creation of the world. To be holy and blameless in his sight. Before the foundation of the world, he chose us, he chose you, he chose me. Those that would be saved, those that would be his. Now, can you get your mind wrapped around that? Can you understand that? Can you tell me how that all works out? Please come and see me afterwards and uh, maybe over a potluck lunch, you can explain this all to me, how this all fits together. Because mine's much greater than my own and, and others have tried to put this together. You go to Bible school and, and we have these debates and, and uh, you know, hours and hours of, of conflict and going back and forth and back and forth. But yet yeah, both are true. How about 1 Peter chapter 1? You don't need to turn there. I'll read it to you. It says this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter writing, he says, To God's elect, strangers in the world, he says, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. This kind of gives us a little bit of a clue. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. How did... How did God make his choice? What did God make his choice based upon? And now others would, would define this word, depends on this, the foreknowledge of God. Some would say, well, that, that means that's what God decided ahead of time would be. Others would say, well, it's because God knew what was going to happen ahead, that he knew that you would receive him. He knew that you would believe in him. He knew that you would open your heart to him. According to the foreknowledge, chosen, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. But let's look at the other side for a minute too, because this is just important, I think, it, for you and I. What, what I. what I think, in my personal opinion about this, is that we try to figure out so much about what God has done as that we neglect what we're supposed to do. God is sovereign. The truth is, God is sovereign. God can do things any way He wants to. He's the Creator. He can do it whatever way He wants to do. We have to just accept the, the fact that He is sovereign. But the fact of the matter is that he's given us challenges throughout the word, throughout the Bible, what we're supposed to do and what our responsibility is. So let's turn back to the Gospel of John. We, we looked previously, a few weeks back, at Acts chapter 2, and, and it said there as Peter was preaching to the crowd and he was quoting from the book of Joel, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He says, everyone, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In John chapter 1, verse 12, he says, to all, how many? Does it say there? All. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To everyone who believed, to everyone who received. And then one more verse in John chapter 3, in verse 36. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Whoever believes has eternal life. Whoever rejects does not have eternal life. That's just the way that it is. But you see the responsibility that he's putting before every person, every man, woman, and child, you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and you have a decision to make whether you believe and receive or you reject the truth and walk away. And we will be held responsible for that decision. We have a responsibility. Man has a responsibility. Now, as we 
turn back to the book of 1 Thessalonians, we see that Paul saw something that was happening there. He could see something that was happening. But let me read a few um, quotes uh, concerning this subject before we get back to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, one writer said this, that God has chosen to bless some individuals with eternal life is clearly taught in many places in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But equally clear is the fact that God holds each individual personally responsible for his decision to trust or not to trust in Jesus Christ. Both are true. Incomprehensible, perhaps, to finite human minds transcending human mental powers. I like what D.L. Moody said about this. He says, I'm, I'm glad God chose me before I was born. He says, I don't think he would have chosen me after I'd done some living. It, it really isn't, you know, God looks down and says, well, I like that person. Look how cool they are. Look how handsome, how smart, how, how you know, clever they are. Look how spiritual they are. You know, God doesn't do that at all. God puts his hand upon a person's life. And at some point in time, that person is responding to the message of Jesus Christ. How does that work together? God knows. And I have to trust Him. There's some things. I've been studying the Bible for uh, 35, 37 years, and there's, there's some things I, I, I don't understand. I'm beginning to understand certain things. I'm beginning to understand a little better. But I think this is one that from day one, that, that like, I, like I said, we've, we've gone back and forth about and human minds have wrestled and grappled with these and we don't really know. But what I need to know is what do I need to do? What, what I've found is some, when, when some are like way over here on this camp, they, they've got it totally figured out what God has done and how he has made the decision. And there becomes this arrogance kind of attitude, this sort of arrogant attitude. Oh, we understand it. We've got this down. We understand how this works. Pride comes before destruction. Haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs says, Pastor Chuck, I remember hearing him say this. He says, you want, do you want to know if you're chosen? Receive Jesus Christ and you'll know. You want to know if you're one of the chosen? Then receive Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. Turning back now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I hope I haven't confused you, but we can't look at these subjects in the, in the Bible as we, as we read them and just pass over them and not ever even try to examine what they are and, and try to uh, see what God is trying to say. Paul looked and saw what was going on in the lives of these people, and he says, he says we know this. Brothers loved by God that he has chosen you, and Why? How did he know that? Look what it said there in verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Something happened when they heard the word of God. Paul could see that, that there was reality in the lives of these people. It, it wasn't just words that came across. There was something radical that happened, something that, that came with power, something that came with the Holy Spirit. God did something in their lives, and he could say that God has done something here. God has chosen you because it's apparent. It is obvious. He's stating the obvious. 
You say, well, how do I apply that to myself? Well, do you, has something happened in your life? Have you truly responded like the Thessalonians done? Have, have you and I opened our hearts and lives to him and, and said yes and bowed the knee before him and said yes? I receive, I believe. I stake my whole life upon what you've came to do upon the cross. Turn back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to read some verses Paul speaking there as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1 through 5. He speaks about this in a, in a different angle, but, but the truth is the same. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. See what he's saying there? He says, listen, I didn't come and, and they say Paul really wasn't that great to look at. People that have, that, you know, have, have studied this, they, the, the word is that he really wasn't, he was really kind of hard to look at. And, and he's saying here, listen, I didn't have eloquence. I didn't have all this wisdom. I just I came to you and proclaimed the testimony and God did something. There was a response and there was a power of God and, and that came on a person's life and he saw that. God did something in the lives of those people and in the end, you see, they couldn't say, well, you know, I, I heard this preacher speaking and he was just so powerful and so incredible and I, you know, I'm going to hold on to, you know, the way he said it forever and ever. He says it wasn't that at all. It was the word of God and it was the power of God. And that's, he says here, that's what our faith has got to rest upon. Not on men's wisdom, not on someone who can speak. Not based on how well someone can speak, but based upon God's power in God's spirit. You know, I've been doing this for a long time, and I, I you know, I, I don't consider myself to be that good at it yet, and I, I, I try, I study, I have to work as hard as I can to try to do a better job, but you know what, in the end, it, it's not about how good I can do. If it is, you know, uh, I, I'm just going to go insane, because if it's based upon just what I can do, then, then I got to carry everything. I got to carry you. I got to carry me. I got to carry everything. You see what I'm saying? It, it, it can't be based upon what I can do. It can only be based upon what he can do. Your life has got to be based on what he can do, his power. I, I, you know, I have enough. I, like I said, I'm, I'm doing the best I can, but, you know, I, I stumble. I, I can't remember things. I, I stumble over words and and I, and I get the tenses wrong, and, 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 and someone corrects me, and, and, and I have a great corrector. And, uh, you know, I get the, the, the English language all messed up and everything else. But in the end, it's not about me. It's not about how I communicate. It's about you and your response to the message that Jesus was crucified. That's what he said. I, 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 don't, 
I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Yeah, He taught a lot of things, but really that's the message that Jesus was crucified. He died for my sin, for your sin. And have you, have you like opened your heart and life to that? Is, like, is that what you're living for because He died for you? He rose from the dead. Now that's not to say that Paul, again, he didn't, he didn't, it wasn't important for how he spoke. And, and again, we're, we're, we're studying a letter that he wrote to them. And, and, maybe, and maybe his letters, um, you know, the things that God inspired him by God's spirit to write in these letters, you know, was more powerful than his, his speaking in person. Perhaps you might say that could have been true. But Paul, he said there, let's turn back to 1 Thessalonians, he said there that, that he spoke with deep conviction. There was power in the middle of verse 5, and there was the Holy Spirit. And Paul said there was deep conviction. He really needed to have that deep conviction, and, and, and that was important. But he also went on to say there, too, that you know how we lived among you for your sake. Also, the, the, the lives that Paul and, and those that were speaking, the, how they lived was important too. In other words, don't just tell me, but show me. You know how he says. First he says, we, we know this about you because of what has happened, but you know this about us, that we lived among you. That we weren't like some, you know, up on some pedestal. We were like human beings and we were... We ourselves as well were, were seeking to, to follow Jesus Christ the very best that we can. Now, does that mean that they were perfect? We're going to look in these next verses about being an example. Does it mean that we're going to be perfect? No, we're not. But do we have a heart that I want to just live for God and I want to do the best I can? I want to be all that God wants me to be? It wasn't just the words. But it was a combination of words and life. Someone said this, the mere preaching of the gospel has done much to convince and convert sinners, but the lives of the sincere followers of Christ as illustrative of the truth have done much more. Not just the words I say. You need Jesus, then I'm going to go out and live like you know, the world and live like the devil. No. You need Jesus, and I'm going to try to follow him. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to, to live for him. And that, that speaks, doesn't it? You know, if you see that I'm just living like the world, and, and, and uh, you know, I, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be doing this. Our lives, every one of us who profess to be believers in Jesus Christ, Paul said, we know about your life, and Paul said, you know about our life. We can see each other. Our lives are an open book. We can read that book. And, and I, when I look at you and I, and I get to know you, I can see what your life is, and, and you can get to see what my life is like. Our lives are an open book that, that are read by others. And, and uh, you know, I read a lot of books, and, and, and you know, what... What is it are people reading? What kinds of things are they reading? Are they easy to read? Some books are really, really hard to read. You notice that? Some books you read about, you know, a few sentences, a few paragraphs. You go, I can't even read this book. It makes no sense to me. And then others, we can go, wow, this is really cool. This is really understanding. I read a quote, um, uh, someone who was 
about fiction and saying, you know, that, that you know, there's something that happens and, and there needs to be this story and, and, and when, when people start to skip because they can't follow the message, can't follow the story. What kind of message, what kind of book is it that, that my life is like? What kind of book is, is your life? Now, I have to add to this, this can be very, very convicting, can it not? People are watching my life? That can be very, very convicting. We're trying to tell other people about Jesus, and you're looking at my life now? My life has something to do with that? Ah, man, I tell you what. I, sometimes, I, I, you know, this happens to me, and I lose my patience. And then I, I, then I, get, I get so worried, I, I get feeling so bad that I'm, I've just blown my witness with somebody. For example, you're all listening. What's the example? <laughs> we, were, we were at the fair the other day, right? And we were, uh, I got another confession to make. I'm tired, you know, got it. My life is an open book. I wanted one of those big turkey legs, right? You know, the big giant one, they're like, they're like this, you know, a little exaggeration, but, you know, you're carrying this thing around, this big turkey leg, you're going to, you know, eat this thing. And, and I wanted one of those things. Somebody, was, somebody put that thought in my head that you got to try one of those. So I've got this thing in my head. And so, you know, we went over there. And then it ended up just being me and somebody else from our church standing there, right, waiting. And then they said, okay, it's going to be about five minutes. And there's none ready right now. It's going to be about five minutes, Right? And so we said, okay, five minutes. And we wait about like 10 minutes. And we say, like, what's going on? It's going to be about five minutes, they said again. <laughs> okay. We wait about 10 more minutes. And we're going like, and then people are like jumping in ahead of us. And we're going like, <sighs> you know, like, the, I'm starting to lose my patience. I'm starting to lose it. And then we go up there after 10 minutes again. Finally, I said, well, listen, that guy went up and paid, and they wouldn't take our money before, so I'm going to pay. And then I, the lady said, okay, it's going to be about five more minutes. And at that point, I go, <laughs> I said, listen, I wasn't screaming or yelling or anything, but I knew that I really shouldn't have said anything. I said, you know, you've already said five minutes like three times. Like, how long is it really going to be? You know, and this person that I was with, is seeing me, you know, the pastor is now starting to get a little red in the face, and, you know, there's this thing happening between the, this poor young lady at the turkey stand. <laughs> I felt like a turkey. Guess what? And I'm thinking, man, that was really stupid. Who cares? But I really wanted that turkey. <laughs> So finally they gave us the turkey leg and it was worth the wait. Let me tell you what. So how do you, you know, are you going to be perfect? Are you going to make it perfectly? No. No, but you know, you have to know that, hey, that really wasn't the best way to approach that situation. That wasn't the best way to deal with that situation, right? There was conviction. I think we should be convicted. If we're yelling at people on the phone and, you know, customer service is, is really not... Um, um, not really customer service. I don't know what it is, but it's not customer service. But you, know, you start yelling at somebody on the phone, 
and they don't know that you're the pastor, you're the Christian or whatever, we should be convicted like, whoa. Maybe my witness was blown. There are certain times when we need to apologize and say, listen, I really, that was, that was pretty dumb. Look at verse 6. He says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You became imitators of, of us and of the Lord. There's a certain imitation that took place. Not just, you know, you can't just say, well, just follow the Lord, but don't follow me. That's, you know, do what I say, but not what I do. That's not practicing what I preach. That's not, my life is not consistent. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He wasn't afraid to say, follow my example. And and you and I need to to understand that. People are going to watch, they're going to follow, and and they're going to imitate what we do. What kind of life are we leading? Are we truly following the example of Christ? Especially leaders, I think. Leaders in the church, I think it's, it's absolutely crucial. It's essential. Paul told Timothy, who he was raising up to be a pastor, to be a leader, he says, he says don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Set an example for the believers, he says, in speech, how you talk, in life, how you live, in love, how you love, in faith, how you believe, and in purity. That's not an easy task, is it? That's, not, that's a big, that's a big uh, order, tall order there, isn't it? But that's what God calls us to do. And those that are called to be leaders, God has, has put a, you know, a greater accountability not many of you should be teachers, he said. You're going to incur the strict, a stricter judgment, a, a stricter accountability. Paul told Titus in the same, uh, same thing. He was raising up this young man named Titus and everything set an example by doing what is good. Peter said the same thing. He said to the elders in the city of... Um, can't remember. See what I'm saying? He talked to the elders there in 1 Peter chapter 5, but he said this, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Leaders and elders got to be examples. Got to be examples. Imitators. People are imitating. People are following. He goes on to say there, in spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Again, getting back to this idea of what did Paul see? What did Paul know? Why did he know that they were loved and chosen by God? He saw that in spite of severe suffering, things got very difficult. And we know there was, there was persecution happening there in the city. And, and Paul and his team got chased out. We know that. But those that stayed, not everybody could leave. Those that stayed faced that same persecution. But in spite of that, it says that they welcomed the message. They received the word. And God gave them joy. That's God's working. You can't manufacture that. That's God's working. That's God's spirit working in a person's life. You and I cannot manufacture joy. You and I cannot manufacture this faith, this hope, and this love, this perseverance. 
It's, it's all about God working in our lives. And then we see that it spreads in verse 7 and 8. As we, as we come to the end of our study today, he says, So you became a model, an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. You see, Paul and his team went there. They shared the gospel about Jesus Christ. People responded. God did an incredible thing. They had to leave. They weren't there very long. God put together this church of people. Paul was encouraging them through writing this letter. They received the word. The power of God was there working. There was stuff going on in their lives. They welcomed the message. They received the joy. They looked at the example of Paul and his uh, team and the lives that they lived and, lived and they imitated them. But then they became an example for others to follow. See, it's like a chain. It keeps going on and on. It spreads from Paul and his team to them and now that from them to others. He says the message rang out. The Lord's message rang out from you. The Lord's message rang out from you. It resounded. The word means to echo, reverberate. One man said this about it. He says the word could also mean crashing out like a roll of thunder. There's something tremendous about the sheer defiance of early Christianity. When all prudence would have dictated a way of life that would escape notice, and so avoid danger and persecution, the Christian blazoned forth their faith. They were never ashamed to show whose they were and whom they sought to serve. They were never ashamed to let people know that I belong to Jesus Christ and, and, and I am seeking to serve him in the very best way that I know how. Am I going to be perfect? No. Are you going to be perfect? No. But it doesn't mean we don't strive and our responsibility, not only just to believe and receive in him, but to, to do everything we can to offer ourselves up as living sacrifices to him. Let's turn one more passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. We'll close with that passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us. Notice that. Through us. Spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And look what Paul says here. And who is equal to such a task? Who is equal to such a task? It's not about us. It's not about how good I am, how much I can do. He says, God is working through us. And God leads us in this triumphal procession in Christ. And God, through us, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. 
The Thessalonians, they were loved by God. They were chosen by God. This message came to them with power, with the Holy Spirit. They believed. They responded. They honored the message. They honored the word. They became followers. And then they became examples to others. And the message, it says, it rang out from them. Like we're reading here in 2 Corinthians. The aroma of Christ. The fragrance of the knowledge of him. Their faith in God became known everywhere. Paul didn't even have to go out and tell people. The people had heard the word of God around. I wonder about you and I, what is that like? What kind of witness, what kind of fragrance is, what kind of book is, is our lives? People are watching, you know. Scary, isn't it? People are watching us. Where you work, where you go to school, where you live, your neighbors. My neighbors are watching me. Have I had a perfect witness to them? Probably not. I got a guy, a neighbor, and he knows. You know, we talked different times. He, he got me this hat. Actually, he did it twice. I think he forgot he got it for me the first time. He got me this hat, right, this baseball cap. It said, God is my boss, in big giant letters. You know? I think he wants me to wear it to see if I really live like that. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit working in us. And they're not just words, it's your word. And it's your spirit and what you want to do in us. And not only what you want to do in us, but what you want to do through us, Lord. That, that uh, you, as it said about these there in Thessalonica, that they turned the world upside down when they went there. Not because of how great they were, but because of how great you were in them and through them. Lord, uh, we are, we're in a world that is full of people that are perishing, full of people that do not know, people that haven't ever been invited to church, believe it or not. Well, you know that, Lord, and I pray that you would give us boldness and courage, but you'd also a light of fire in us to live live lives that, that uh, really reflect you and our relationship with you. Father, I pray this morning as well for any who might be here this morning who've never uh, responded. You've heard the word this morning about Jesus Christ and him cru crucified and that he died for your sins and that, that you, uh, to receive eternal life, you need to receive him. You've heard that. We read that this morning in John 3, 36. And maybe that's you this morning, and you feel that God is, is uh, stirring you, that something is going on, and you want to just open your life and heart right now to Jesus Christ, and you, you're really sincere about this, and you want to give God that chance in your life. Uh, you simply just need to do it right now, and open your heart and life. Close your eyes and, and, and cry out to Him in the quietness of your own heart and say, Dear God, I, I need you. I can't do it. I can't make it. I'm lost. I'm searching for hope, searching for life, searching for truth. And so I give you this opportunity, God. I, I, I just, there's, what else can I say? I don't really understand it all, but I know that I need help. And I need, I need you.
Father God, you know each heart here. You know each mind. You know each person. You know that, that the people are here that make up the church. Not these chairs or this building or the air conditioning. It's the people. I pray you have your hand upon these people, Lord, each one of us. We commit ourselves to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more time, shall we?